Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello all. I should turn the klaxons on. We got a spillage. Spillage. <laughs> I spilled water almost all over the mixer right before we went uh, live here with our voices. The intro was playing, and then I went to grab a little glass of water, a little sip, just to wet the whistle. Yeah. And you certainly almost shocked us to death. I know. It could have killed everyone in the room. Houses, cats and dogs living together. Houses burning. Anyway, this is Rich Wilgus and uh, Papa John. Tallarico. <laughs> Famous pizza maker? Yeah. I am a papa. You are. That's right. A father of... 17. What are you up to now? I got 38 kids. (laughs) Wow. One per hour. One per hour. You're like the Schmengies with albums or something, except you just... (laughs) (laughs) What is that? The Schmengies was a polka band, and all the SCTV guys made a movie. I don't know if the movie was called The Schmengies, but it was about a band that did a record a month. (laughs) And they had like hundreds and hundreds of records in no time. Wow. Have you not seen that I film? I have not seen that film. You need to rent the Schmengies. Put it on your list. It's really funny. I don't even know how to spell that. I'm not sure either, but if you look up uh, John Candy, you know, and go back through his history on the Internet Movie Database, you'll you'll find it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so what do we got going on this week? Well, all kinds of stuff going on. International sports is very exciting these days. And the Americans are out of all of them. No, not the Tour de France. In fact, there's an American wearing the yellow jersey right now in the Tour de France. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's in it by default. The bigger news, though, is there is no South American team in the World Cup anymore. Yep. Brazil got spanked. I wouldn't say spanked. I think they they lost fair and square. (laughs) Germany beat uh, Argentina. That's right. That game was on, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Something like that. And um, I almost watched every minute of it at work. My boss was just in a carefree, it's the Friday before the 4th of July weekend day, and he's like, now let's watch the game. Wow. (laughs) Well, when your parents own the company, you can get away with that kind of stuff. So the only thing I missed, and here's the really funny part, not that it's that funny, the only thing I missed was the Argentina goal. (laughs) I stepped out of the room for a couple of minutes because I got paged, and I came back in and Argentina had scored, but I caught the German goal. And, of course, it went through the 30 minutes of overtime, and then it got to a shootout, Mm -hmm. and the German keeper made a couple of really nice saves, and ding, 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 game over. So now it's Germany versus Italy, Italy which is a 1994. Final rematch. Yep. You and I watched that game together. I believe Germany won that. Uh, Unfortunately. Yep. And then on the other side, it's Portugal against France. So France beat Brazil. Yeah. And I was reading an article today and they said, well, it looks like Brazil has a nemesis in the World Cup because it seems like France beats Brazil. It, yeah. I think think they beat them uh, last time or a few years ago or a few or a couple of uh, World Cups ago. I'm not certain. That could be. Portugal's a bit of a surprise, though. I really expected England to beat them, but 
there you go. That's the great thing about sports on any given day. Well, Beckham got yanked out of the game. Yeah, he had a little, he was acting like a little girl. He had some sort of injury and he left the game. And I think he bent it. He did. He bent his knee or something. And uh, he was out of the game. He was actually in a lot of pain. They showed him. He was crying. I don't know if it was because he was lamenting that this might be his last World <laughs> Cup or whatever. But I mentioned this to you earlier. The really, really, really unfortunate thing was that with a few minutes left in the game, England had a free kick just outside the 16-yard line, 16-yard box. And you know Beckham probably scores on that a third or a half the time, the way he shoots those set plays, he's just dangerous, you know? And they focused on him immediately when that play came up, and he was just, like, shaking his head. He was just tormented. Well, on the last set play, he uh, he vomited right afterwards. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, he, was he actually did. Completely spent. Yep. In case yep. you just tuned in, this is not Sports International now. No, Whatever it's not. Whatever the hell it is. But this is the one time of the year when we talk about sports. We'll talk about it every four years during the World Cup. <laughs> well, and the other odd thing is that, you know, we've got the Yankees-Mets series going on, and they're tied 1-1. But the Mets beat series. them two out of three in the previous three-game series, which I was going to yes, brag about, did. but didn't mention until today. Yep, yes, they did. And hopefully the Yankees can strike back today. It's the last game of the three-game series. The Yankees strike back. Yep. And since it is Tour de France season, and I did mention that George Hincapi is in the yellow, they only uh, basically had one stage and the prologue. So, you know, as we've mentioned before, or at least last year at this time, the race does not begin until the mountains. So there's a lot of race to unfold. But the big news is that all kinds of heavy hitters got uh, indicted, or not indicted in a legal sense, but were banned. Uh, sus- suspicions were raised about potential sports-enhancing drug use, and like 32 guys got named. And they were among the 32 stronger people in the field, including Ivan Basso and Jan Ulrich, and those guys were sent home. I don't think they were actually banned from the competition officially by the organizing people, hmm. but all of their teams said, you're not riding, you're going home. So you get to watch it on television. Wow. So what that does is opens up the field for a lot of guys who might have been top 10 guys or top 5 guys, but probably weren't podium contenders, including George Hincapi, who was a top 10 guy last year. He might have even been top 5. I don't remember where he came in. But he was working for Armstrong last year, and this year the team is working for him. So it'll be an interesting race. Hinkabee could, could be right there. Wouldn't that be cool? But at the same time, it's sort of like like the 1987 or 88 Tour de France when Lamont got shot by his brother-in-law. And he wasn't, <laughs> right. he, he had wasn't, buckshot in his system. Yeah, and he wasn't there that year. And Stephen Roche from Ireland won the Tour that year. And yeah, Roche was a great rider and he's a tremendous athlete. But at the same time, Lamont wasn't there. I don't think Bugno rode that year. I think it was a, a down year for... Uh, for a lot of the typical contenders, so not that there's an asterisk on Steve Roche's name because he's a great rider, but still, if Lamont was there and in top form, you got to believe Lamont would have beat him that year. But well, it's funny that we talk about the asterisk because that's the big thing in sports these days. Is you know, there's a whole bunch of records in baseball that are being well challenged. I'd say they're being asterized, and and people are saying because there's a whole lot of suspicion uh, about uh, doping and and well, not doping per se. It's it's uh, using human growth hormone and all sorts of steroids in baseball. So these guys are bloated monstrosities. <laughs> and um, so people are saying, well, there should be an asterisk in the record book saying that these records are under suspicion. And you're and you're going the opposite way, saying that someone was legitimately out of the competition and the guy who actually won it legitimately is going to get the asterisk. Well, it's not going to be an official asterisk. <laughs> They're not going to be asterized. <laughs> asterized. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? There, there's always the like, you know... 
I mean, it would be like if, you know, Armstrong got injured last year and wasn't there and some also ran won it, you know, you, everybody would be thinking, well, yeah, Armstrong wasn't there. So who knows? Well, but, Armstrong decided to quit. He did. And I think this is a great opportunity for a lot of uh, riders to come along. And I, uh, I will be following it and reporting as the weeks go by. And, uh, I don't know, it'll be really exciting. Yeah. Hinkapi is in the yellow. He And would- that doesn't mean that he's in danger if, if you're not familiar with... Uh- Tour de France. In the yellow means that he's the overall leader of the, the France. He wears tour. a yellow jersey, yes. the Maillot Jaune. And he would not be in the yellow jersey were it not for – the today was a very, very flat stage, flat as a pancake. It was like they were riding on assault flats. And um, there are these moments in the race where there are sprint, little individual sprints, and whoever gets to that sprint line first gets points towards the sprinter's jersey. And they also get time bonuses. Like if you're the first person across the line, you get 10 seconds subtracted from your time at the end of the race. And Hinkapi challenged for a couple of the sprints, which a yellow jersey contender normally wouldn't do. Lance mm-hmm. just used to, you know, the sprinters, it's a big pack. There can be a crash. Normally real contenders don't vie for sprinters points. Yeah, but I short-term think, gain, but, you know, long-term not really worth it. Yeah, but Hinkapi actually got in a couple of the sprints and won some sprinters points today and knocked a couple seconds off his time. And that put him in the yellow jersey. He was second in the uh, the prologue time trial. He was a few hundredths of a second behind Tor, uh, Tor Hushvald from Norway or one of those Viking countries. And uh, Viking countries? I, I don't know. You know Northern he European. Wearing, he was wearing one of those aerodynamic helmets with horns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the one of the Northern – I think he's from Norway. And uh, But because – uh, Hinkapi competed in a few of the sprints. He had a couple of seconds taken off his time, and he's in the yellow jersey. But as I mentioned, it doesn't become a race till they get to the mountains, and that's still about ten days away. So, and the mountain jersey is the polka dot. Polka dot. Yep. The mountain. The the guy who accumulates the most points by being the first over the mountain, individual mountain climbs, gets a jersey called the polka dot jersey. The sprinter gets a green jersey. Uh, best young up and coming rider gets a white jersey, and the overall uh, tour leader gets a yellow jersey. And I think that's all the jerseys. Biggest crashes gets a big ready, big red bloody, bloody jersey. jersey. <laughs> and uh, the only guy in the history of the sport to win the race, to win the Tour de France, and win all the jerseys is who? Don't know. Eddie Merckx. Is it? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. everybody talks about Lance being the greatest rider of all time, but he's really not. Eddie Merckx is still the greatest cyclist of all time. Yeah. Unquestioned. I mean, he, even he, Lance would say that if you asked him that. I mean, he was even carrying superfluous X's in his name. <laughs> he's got a lot of X's on the end. Anyway, <laughs> enough of our European sports introduction. We're going to jump right into a track by one of my favorite bands in the world, a band called The Fiends. We've played them before. We've played them before. Friends of mine, I've recorded them, and this one is called I'm Walking Out. So long. 
just a smoking piece of rock and roll yeah he's got great vocals i mentioned it before but i think i agree yeah he's got that really rich baritone elvis costello-y kind of voice and it's just thick and it's just dripping yeah i love it yeah i I picture him as this giant guy who's like 900 pounds and he can't get out of a chair get in my belly (laughs) (laughs) but he's got a microphone that's positioned just so he can sing he's not uh a guy who's gigantic in stature at all just his voice just his voice. Yeah, Jerry Jones. That's all he the needs. Fiends. Yeah, he's got a great voice. He's a real clever songwriter. I really like his songs. He writes most of the songs on all these Fiends records. That's from their most recent record called Redemption, and there's some really great, great tunes in there. We've played a couple uh, off the record. At least one we played. Um, yeah, How Ridiculous. Yeah. We play, uh, Well, that wasn't on that record. The acapella wasn't on this record. We played How Ridiculous uh, at the cafe when we recorded mm-hmm. our, our show at the uh, Cafe Domenico. Correct. Homework time. Yes. Homework is due. Turn in the papers, pass them forward. Pencils down. <laughs> if, if you uh, didn't do your homework, then uh, you can stop listening now. My dog ate my homework. Because there's going to be some spoilers. I want to get into this film. Yeah, well, we can. So why don't you start it off? It was your bright idea to watch this ridiculous thing. So we watched The Chronicles of Narnia. The Chronicles of Siri Narnia. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Syriana. Siri Narnia. The Syriana. Chronicles of Syriana. It was Syriana. Which made a lot of people's top ten lists and made many people's number top one, one lists. lists. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a. It was. I actually 
like the movie quite a bit, but it was one of those films that is, it makes you think, and it and it's. Uh, it was like an know. ER reunion. It, well, well, at least one guy from ER, anyway. <laughs> one guy. But it, it made me feel like, man, if this is really the world that we're living in, I don't want to live in that kind of world. But it it was. it's not a movie that starts at the beginning and ends at the end, and you've got something going on in the middle. It's one of those where you catch up on all these different plot lines. It's a Steven Soderbergh production, so kind of like Traffic, where there's all these different plot lines going on. And it's about the, well, it was something that we brought up a long time ago, the um, the military industrial complex Mm -hmm. it's uh you've got the oil companies you've got giant uh legal firms you've got individual um religious fanatics all of these people coming together in the middle east you've got the prince in saudi arabia you've got intelligence guys intelligence who don't even know necessarily well how did uh clooney put it he didn't need to have to know. He didn't need to have to know what he was doing and who it was benefiting. If his boss told him to do it, basically, he just assumed it was the right thing to do. Right. And that's, of course, got to be the way intelligence operates and the military operates, right? Sure. It's a hierarchical command structure. You do what you're told. Absolutely. It's it, The chain of command is one of the, the cardinal laws of, of the military and the CIA. So, yeah, you've got the CIA agent. You've got the CIA agent's handlers. You've got the, the other CIA agents who are working either for or against the agents, um, people who are deeply embedded. Um, so you've got all these different things. And then there's even uh, Matt Damon showing up as a, a financial uh, anal- analyst. analyst. Yeah. And I, I saw the Matt Damon character as a bit superfluous. I'm not sure what his, his function in the film was other than for his son to be electrocuted in a swimming pool and then the Spanish villa to be raised and then him to get $75 million out of it. But I mean... I'm not really sure. Well, that is kind of a plot point there. (laughs) Well, it is, but I mean, if it wasn't in there, I think the film would have been just as strong. I'm not really sure. And granted, they ended basically the film with him going home, but... Well, I think that his his character had the same role as the individuals who ended up being... um, I think they were these Pakistani individuals. They were uh, workers. I don't know if you want to call them migrant workers, but they they came in to do some work in, in the oil fields. And then they lost their jobs, and then they wanted to stay. They didn't want to be deported back to their country, so they're they're given, um, I guess, I don't know if you call it asylum, but they they ended up in this camp where they're learning about Islam and they're and they're getting free food. But uh, they're they're trying to do the right thing, you know. They they have um, these religious beliefs that they're sort of getting pumped into them, and they're trying to do the right thing. And as it turns out, the thing that they're trying to support unbeknownst to them is actually doing much damage everywhere else and that's i think the biggest issue is every single person in this in their own way is trying to do the right thing but without knowing everything else that's going on they don't realize what damage they're doing regardless of what we're talking about you it's it's almost always true that everybody's trying to do the right thing i think in everybody's daily lives are trying to do that but let's talk about kind of what this film was about. And because it's got that weird sort of out-of-order chronology. <laughs> well, I think everything was in order. It wasn't like a, a uh, what's his name, uh, Ter- Quentin, Star- yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, I was going to say Tarantino. Where, where everything is. But no, no, there were clearly forwards. things that were out of order. There was that videotape being played of the guy who died at the end being played before his death, for example. So there were things out of order. I didn't catch that. Yeah, he was playing the videotape about like when I die. He was the guy on the boat at the end. With the missile that went and they blew up the oil tanker. Well, that played right after he died. No, it was playing before it. It was a different guy. That was a different guy. Maybe it was the other guy in the boat. No, it was a different guy because they were they were showing that being played for these people as they're getting indoctrinated. And then 
he showed up at the end kind of like to to hit the the point home that that guy died he he gave his life for the cause and and then he's he's part of that whole cycle hmm yeah well, it was a i guess guy. i missed that then. yeah it was a different guy yeah so th- i think for me what i what i got out of this was not just that every person is trying to do the right thing but everyone has ulterior motives yeah, well, that's true. But let's give a larger plot synopsis of the film. I mean, well, okay, why don't I just tell you what big I oil think the film was about? Screwing us. <laughs> for, for me, what the film was about was basically big oil. It's about this merger that is going to happen only if the FTC or whoever approves these mergers goes Congress. along with. Yeah. I think there's a committee. And this was a gigantic oil merger, big energy, big oil. And there, in all the interactions of what happened between, like, uh, U.S. foreign policy, uh, out in the field, if you will, mm-hmm. in the Middle East, uh, doing things to uh, influence governments either by interacting with them or killing them. And right down to the good old U.S. of A., where bargains are being struck at home. Uh, how do I want to say this? Bargains are being struck at home in such a way to allow the merger to happen. In other words, the FTC or whoever is is on these congressional committees is saying, we won't let the merger go through unless you give us something. And mm-hmm. all of the sort of dark underbelly, the dirty dealings that go on that allow these gigantic, multi, multi, multi-billion dollar deals to happen. And, I mean, it, it's really difficult to describe what the film is about other than to say that and kind of talk about it in a vague sense because there's so much going on in this film and there's it's it just... Wow, you really do need to probably see this film a couple times. Well, it, at least in order to get all of the different points and, and you get all these different conversations and, and you see just what the impact of each conversation is. And maybe it's, if you could put it into a few sentences, I look at it as people, well, I already said this, trying to do the right thing, but then there's the ulterior motives and then there's the confusion surrounding it. And nobody really knows the the big picture and they don't know if they're doing a good thing or a bad thing. And some people are trying to do a good thing and they're saying they're trying to do a good thing, but then they're actually screwing someone else. Like this lawyer, the, the, the lawyer who was brought in to do some investigation to make sure that everything was on the up and up. And he was supposedly this, uh, he was, he was the, the, the wolf in sheep's clothing that, um, now I can't remember his name. The, who's the, the actor who played the, the head of that legal firm, Chris Cooper. No. no. Oh, no. Uh, the head of the legal firm, right. Um, um, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to put that in the notes. That would have been um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, yes. <laughs> and and when his friend got killed with the... No, it wasn't Tom Cruise. Oh, I was thinking about Talladega Nights again. <laughs> oh, no. You're thinking of Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, no. No, it wasn't him either. Anyways, the head of the, the, head of the legal firm brings this guy in, and, and he sort of pumps him up and says, yeah, you know, I've got a whole bunch of lawyers on my staff that are, they think that they're wolves, but they're really sheep, but I think that you're the, the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to, you know, find the the, the underhanded dealings, but the reality is he's just being played. He's, he's used as a tool to stop this deal and, and to, to make sure that actually the legal firm comes out the winner in this whole thing. And then you've got the CIA agent, George Clooney, who which we haven't even mentioned in this. He and thinks they he's never trying... even necessarily say he's in the CIA, but he you goes to CIA meetings and things like that. You know, it, it's very unclear who he works for, actually, but you can assume the CIA, I think. <laughs> yeah, pretty much it can be assumed. Um, and he and thinks by he's the way, doing the most right CIA uh, CIA officers are missing two fingernails. <laughs> yeah, if you've done your homework, 
you know what we're talking about. <laughs> if you haven't, you will. You will. <laughs> so yeah, and and George Clooney thinks that he's doing the right thing, and he keeps trying to to push for answers where he sees some underhanded dealings, and but he's getting used too, and and he's put into a position where as soon as something goes wrong, he becomes the scapegoat. And they did make him a scapegoat, oh, but then time. he defended himself big time, too. Yeah, but I don't know how far he can really get with defending himself. Well, by the end of the film, it's irrelevant. So. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got, it even goes up to the Saudi prince, where he's trying to actually do good by his country. You know, he wants... I, I think he's trying to do good in general. Yeah, he's he's trying to take his country out of being just a pawn, and he's trying to take his country out of being just a, uh, I don't know, a bunch of people with rich new toys he wants to build the infrastructure and and actually build an economy and not just give in to some of these these economic dealings but he's getting played too and he ends up he ends up uh not becoming the the uh i guess the emir he ends up a lot more not becoming than that he becomes just he basically a hole dirt. In the ground. yeah he becomes a hole in the ground well but he's trying to beyond that he's trying to give women more rights in his mm-hmm. country which is uh, presumably a muslim country or was this it's not clear to me. He he was a Muslim, right? Because then yes. there was that whole committee to liberate Iran thing, which was like kind of a separate subplot. But I, I, of course, but I think that that was just a sham too. You know, well, it's always a sham. <laughs> yeah, and and um, Matt Damon's character, he got drawn into backing the Saudi prince because he was an idealist, and the damage that was done there was both personal and public because. His his backing of the prince was essentially tearing his marriage apart because he you know lost a child in this, the whole Saudi dealings. So everyone trying to do the right thing ends up getting screwed. Even the even the kids you know trying to do the right thing by by his family ends up being just carrying a warhead into a ship and blowing it up. Right. Well, you know, there certainly is a lot going on in this film. I, I want to talk about some other things, not necessarily plot related, mm-hmm. but I I see, I watch movies. I watch a lot of movies. Anybody who listens to the show knows I see a lot of films. He barely eats. He just watches movies. <laughs> and I drink wine, gluten-free foods, and I watch movies. Yep. And I'm always amazed that I see Chris Cooper showing mm-hmm. up in films because ever since October Sky, where he plays the sort of country bumpkin guy very well, I expected him to get typecast as the country bumpkin. And then you turn around and he's playing these these big cosmopolitan parts or whatever you want to call it. And there he is. He's in a lot of films. Yep. He and it's a pleasant surprise. And exactly, because he showed up in this. Another surprise for me was the actor Siddig El Fadil, who later changed his name, I believe, to Alexander Siddig. Yep. And any of you who are Star Trek geeks out there know him as Dr. Bashir from Deep Space Nine. Right. right. He's also the nephew of um, uh, the Clockwork Orange guy, whose name I knew a moment ago, but is escaping Malcolm me. McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, Alex. nephew to Malcolm McDowell. I believe he's a Moroccan. And he plays the uh, the prince. I think John called him a Saudi prince, but I don't believe he was necessarily Saudi. Well, and that's just it. They don't even name names. They don't name countries per se. But you know what they're talking about. Well, they're about. talking about the Middle East, and that's where all the oil is under the sand. Mm-hmm. And that's where billions are won and lost every day. Yep. You know? And I mean, and for you, you were talking about what this film was about for you. And for me, it, it's still not clear what this film was about, except it was about the dealings that go on between government and business with respect to the energy industry. But 
while I don't know that much about that, because how much can you know about that unless you're involved in it? And even if you're involved in it, like these characters were, it's still not clear who's right and who's wrong because everybody's playing everybody and there's Mm -hmm. billions at stake. But while I don't know what goes on in that industry, I'm absolutely certain that this film kind of got it right, you know, about all the evil doings that go on. Everything from screwing people over in legal deals to murdering people to just get them out of the way so that big deals can happen. I'm sure this film basically got it right, you know? Well, what was very shocking for me was was how they showed that corruption, and, and I don't even want to use the term corruption, but but maybe, I don't know, the compromise of your, your ideals goes from the very top to the very bottom. From the very top to these huge deals, as you're saying, you know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars at stake, all the way down to the very bottom. And I, and I want to focus a little bit on these these migrant workers, as I'll call them. And one of the reasons why they even entered this camp to learn Islam, it wasn't because they were interested in the religion or they had any of these healthy or tightly held beliefs. It was because they were serving free food, you know? So... They were basically compromising their ideals, you know, to get something for themselves. And it goes all the way to the top. And it just shows how that tiny little compromise, if you just keep doing it over and over and over again, can blow up into some major corruption. Now, see, I got something different from that. You know, these little camps you were talking about, the trailers that they lived in. Yeah. I interpreted that as something else. I thought that was just the quarters that the oil refineries were giving them to live in because they couldn't afford real housing for themselves. That was sort of what I got out of that. I didn't get that as a, a camp to uh, to train somebody for a particular uh, whatever. Well, uh, that's how it started out. And then, then they were kicked off their job because the, the Chinese deal went through right. and they were not allowed to be – working for them anymore. The Chinese were kicking them off the job. Well, that was one of the first scenes in the film, the little megaphone right. speech. Yep. So in order to stay in the country, they essentially joined this this uh, Islam school, and that's where they went. So they started out in the camp that was owned by the oil company, and then they went to the Islam school. I'll say another thing about this film that's totally not plot-related, and that is the sound design and the audio in this film was pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Because there were several times where large explosives went off, heavy ordnance went off, and it scared me. I right. mean, I don't want to get into the, the boring details of audio, but digital audio can't exceed a certain volume. It can't exceed digital zero. You can see it on our meters right here. There's minus one, and then there's max. It cannot get louder than that. Let's demonstrate. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> But there were there were moments where bombs went off, and I was just sitting there with the uh, I don't have five point one or anything crazy. I just have stereo and my TV, and I was just watching it, and I was startled every time a major explosion happened. So I thought the sound design in this film was pretty spectacular too. And what's up with Clooney? He's in two really really fantastic films in two thousand five. I'm getting more and more respect for him. I thought he was just a one trick pony pretty boy who had a famous singer aunt and was on ER. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Rosemary well, his, Clooney. His aunt dies, and now he can get out from under that shadow. I know. He's, he's just, you know, and he's not even a singer. I didn't even know he had a shadow, but. No. It, it, Clooney's actually got some talent. I mean, this guy's, first they tried to make him into an action star. What was that film he did with Tom Cruise's ex-wife? The, uh, the, the uh, oh, I don't remember. Well, anyway, they tried to turn him into the sort of, uh, you know, pretty boy action star, but, you know, the guy's really got something going on. Well, I think he's the real deal. You can see he's dedicated to his craft because he had his fingernails removed. <laughs> he did, at least two of them. No, but Possibly I think his head. He, you know, again, going back to that pretty boy, he comes into this 
looking like a, a a worn kind of guy in his middle age. He's got the big the full beard. beard. Mm-hmm. He put on probably 50 pounds for this role. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he wasn't trying to be a hunk by any means. No, not at all. It's just yeah. a pretty fantastic film. And if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. And uh, as we always recommend, we, we have places to talk about this kind of stuff on our new forum. Yeah, and even if your politics aren't aligned with this film, this is something that you could you could really relate to because it's more of a human story than a political story. I, I think. don't think this film really had any politics. No. I think this film just sort of was a camera hovering over what was going on and they just showed it to us. You know, I don't think it was filmed or, or told from a particular political perspective. I know a lot of people tie certain political views to George Clooney himself and they might think that this is George Clooney because uh, I think he was tied to the production of this. Him, him sort of spouting out about this. But no, I think that this is trying to be a realistic portrayal and it was based on a book by a cia agent former cia agent i think his name is robert or bob bear Mm -hmm. and this is definitely a book that i want to read because i want to i want to get some more details out of this because the film can't do it justice i'm sure right right and yeah yeah completely (laughs) rock on sister friend (laughs) that is like so totally awesome dude man you are rad I just totally lost my train of thought and Word. had to vamp on that. I don't even know what I was going to say. We were talking about Clooney. Oh yeah, I yeah, think Clooney. I think we know He's where Clooney's such a hottie. <laughs> I think I know where you know. I, I think the other film he did about uh, the 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 CBS news anchor there. Um, good night and good luck. Good night and good luck. Clearly, I think there was a more obvious message there. He was more involved in the production of that than he was in this film. I right. think, and I think he was making a message on what's going on politically in the United States with wiretapping and the media not doing its job, but. Yeah, I think Clooney's the real deal. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, and I think the first time I saw him, he showed up in an episode of uh, The Facts of Life. Yeah, he played some little hunky guy in The Facts of Life. He was... um, I think he was Tootie's friend. Potential boyfriend <laughs> to Claire or something. something I like don't that, know. Yeah. And it, it embarrasses me that, that we both know names of The yeah. Facts of Life. and he had but that whole pompadour. That. He was kind of like Jay Leno we were talking about earlier. Yeah, he's definitely like Jay Leno. <laughs> They're so much alike. <laughs> Anyways, so what are we drinking today anyway? Uh, I think Ripple. Champipple. <laughs> this is one of those, I think it's a, a Washington State thing. I think it is too. Yeah, it looks like it's from Anything Columbia, from the Columbia Valley yeah, is Washington is. State. We've yeah. been having some excellent Washington State wines and I think this is among them. Yeah, it's a 2003 Cabernet Sauvignon from the Columbia Valley Indian Wells. And this is a Chateau Saint-Michel. And this is really, really good. I'm yeah. liking that. It's very good. And, and I've got some upcoming stuff. I'm going to get a couple more bottles of. I was going to save it for the show, but I drank it. You you, you fiendish fiend. Yes. In keeping with the musical theme. But we got another tune, don't we? This yeah. is a band John discovered. He's like <laughs> he's like Don Kirshner over here. He's like Quincy Jones. I'm going to call you Q. These boys are something, something. <laughs> what I did is I found... This whole scene, this whole progressive rock scene out of Israel. <laughs> and I'm going to go with it. This trespass band, I'm, I'm liking them. And I think I'm going to start uh, looking at some more Israeli bands now. And and they still swear they've never heard Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. <laughs> I've Just never had like a conversation the with tri- them. The German band Triumvirate wants to maintain that, too. They're like a late 70s band. but Now, this is a, a tune called Madhouse Blues. And you'll find out because of the lyrics. Repeat let's, that several or 12 times. Let's check it out.
think it was aptly titled, Oh Yeah, Doesn't That Feel Good? <laughs> Going back to 1966, that's the... Tensmen with cups and cakes, later changing their name to Spinal Tap, currently residing in the Where Are They Now file. Anyway, <laughs> I've seen that film way too many times. Completely way too many times. You know, I love that band, but the vocals need some work. They need a little more depth of the lyrics, and the singing needs to be a little stronger. To me, that was um, experimentation at its best, because they, they tried every single form of music in one song. That's right, and they've never heard Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Never. <laughs> Benny the Bouncer, none of that. The Sheriff, not at all. Yeah, if you guys are intrigued at all about any of this stuff that we're playing by Trespass, look at the roots. Go back to ELP and, and be amazed. Yeah, by Tarkus, by Brain Salad Surgery, Brain by Salad Trilogy. Surgery, yeah, definitely. Trilogy is, is great. You'll find Jerusalem even played on that. You will. Uh, I'm a big Tarkus fan, though. Are you? you? Know? Yeah, I love the Tarkus record. But, I mean, really, there's only three you need to get. Maybe their first one. You know, maybe you can get, you know, Living Sin, or not Living Sin, uh, that's on, uh, I forgot. But maybe the first one, but definitely Tarkus, Brain Salad Surgery, and Trilogy. I mean, you really don't need to get any more ELP than that. Welcome back, my friends. The show that never ends. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, never like about Carnival 9. Yeah, that's one of my favorites there. So anyways, not enough of that. And these, this band, by the way, claims to never have even heard Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. <laughs> you which, keep saying that. I know, and that reminds me of a band called Triumvirate from the late 70s, which was a German band. Yeah, I remember with them. Jürgen Fritz playing keyboards. Triumvirate. Triumvirate, and they, they claim to have never heard ELP either, and if I could play some of their stuff, I would, because it sounds exactly, it sounds way more like ELP than this band does, yeah. as a matter of fact, but... Normally, I have a film to talk about now, but I don't because the MWPAI did not show a film Friday night because they have their outdoor arts festival going on right now. And mm-hmm. apparently, they don't want to mix the two up. You know, you can't do both. Oil you can and only water. do one or the other. You can't do a film and go see the paintings that are outside on display. Salt and pepper. <laughs> it just doesn't mix. Cats and dogs. <laughs> so, next week. Yeah, next week, we're going to do a little uh, shtick. We're going to talk about shtick. yeah. We're going to talk about how we actually select music. And, and Chuck Barris would be so proud of us right now, <laughs> right. or in a week he will be anyway. Yeah, way back when when we were formulating this show, we uh, we talked about this whole process, and and I was driving home back and forth from from work. I have an hour commute, and I would listen to podcasts and listen to some music, and, and every once in a while I would sample some some odd music, and I would just flip through this stuff listening to all the different uh, intros and it would it would almost be like a little running commentary I would have in my head like who's this guy trying to rip off and and what's and what's this intro all about and yeah these guys just can't play off key so that was John's original concept for yep. our podcast so we're yeah. going to go there yeah so we're going to go there and we're going to i don't know we're going to bring the cameras into our internal process so we're going to play some music I'm and a little we're scared yeah we're going to go through some of the music and we're going to have a little uh, gong show and you can get to listen to that you can like learn what we hate and what we like but of course if you've been listening to any of our shows we've played about 102 <laughs> different songs by now probably and uh you know you know what we like and what we hate and hopefully you like some of the stuff we play but anyway that's it, man. We got no more show. Yeah, and you've been listening to the Bombastic Veterinarians. <laughs> veterinarians. <laughs> that definitely means the show's over. Too late now. That whole thing I want to do on brain surgery is next week, I guess. Well, vivisection, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are veterinarians. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, this is Rich Willigus. And this is not... And uh, check out our blog. It can be found on the World Wide Web. It's a new thing. The internets. Yep, that internet thing. It's www.bloodyveg.com. 
please send us stuff. We're very lonely. We haven't gotten feedback any stuff in a while. at BuddyBedge.com. Audio feedback, video feedback, porn, food, wine, money. Porn food? Absolutely. I promise I'll wear my pants. <laughs> Which he hadn't done in a while, but today he did. Anyway, check out our new forum. That's online. There's a link to it from the website. Have lots of fun. Talk about politics, all that good stuff. But anyway, remember, you're listening to VIB. VIB.